Good morning. I'm really happy to be here with you today. It's a beautiful day, isn't it? Hasn't the Lord blessed us with some beautiful weather? I want to talk with you about something that uh, really the idea comes out of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 5. And uh, as we read these verses, I want you to think about what this scene is like. Now, I know that Revelation is primarily a symbolic book. There's a lot of symbolism and all in the book. But I want you to think about just this picture that he is drawing for us here. He says, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Think about that scene. Here you've got Jesus Christ and His Father in the center of the throne room of heaven. And surrounding them are a hundred million angels. And these angels surrounding, and they just, they keep bowing down to the Father and to His Son, Jesus. And they're praising Jesus, and they say, you're worthy, you are worthy, you are the Lamb that was slain. They say, you're worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and glory and honor. You are worthy. And this just goes on and on and on. Now, I don't know. He says thousands of thousands. I don't know how many that is. I know it's a I think about that, and I think about the fact that I believe this is a depiction of what's really going on. I believe in heaven right now, surrounding the throne, there are millions of angels worshiping and praising God. I believe that goes on right now. You know, we just sang a song just a moment ago, O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent Thy name, right? That's the kind of thing they're singing. And I think about that, and then I think about us, and I think about the God that we serve that is so great and so mighty and so holy, the angels just gather around and constantly worship Him. And I sit there and go, Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent Thy name, how excellent is Thy Doesn't this seem ridiculous? Doesn't this seem kind of silly? Our half-hearted effort at glorifying this almighty God. You know, God, God is amazing. God is, is holy and righteous and blameless. Can you imagine that scene? You know, when I preach, I always figure I've got about 
35 to 45 minutes before I really lose everyone's attention. So I try to aim my sermons in that area, you know, and I'll, I'll glance at a clock when I get up, and I'll think about this, you know, in 40 minutes or 45 minutes from when I get up, I need to be done, and you know, if I think about that this morning, I've got probably 42 minutes left, maybe 41 minutes now, uh, that I... If instead of that, in 41 minutes, you know, at the end of this, we're going to have a song, right? And everybody's going to stand up and we're going to sing. But if instead of that, what was going to happen is I was going to die. You know, there have been preachers who died while they were preaching, right? You've heard of that. If in 40, You've heard of preachers. I've heard of preachers that preach and then go sit down on a pew and just are ushered right up into glory. So if that was going to happen in 40 minutes and 16 seconds now... Do you think it would, I would be concerned about what you think about me? You think I'd be worried about what you thought about this sermon if I know I'm fixing to meet Jesus? Think that would bother me at all? Now, I remember the first time I ever preached when Truman Teal was in the audience. <laughs> and I was intimidated, and I was worried about what Truman would think about my sermon and after it was over, he did the thing he always does. Well, I guess you did the best you could. <laughs> the reality is, if I'm thinking right, I don't care what Truman thinks about my sermon. I don't care what you think about my sermon. There's only one person I care what they think about what I'm saying. And you know who that is? That's Jesus. I care about what he says. What does he think about my worship? What does he think about the things that I tell you? And if I'm going to die in 39 minutes and 22 seconds, I want to go to glory knowing that I said what he wanted me to say this morning, right? And if you're going to die then, you know, this God that we serve, he determines which of us walk out this door when the service is over. And all of us may not. We expect that we will. But all of us may not do that. You know, the Bible says that in discussing worship, he says the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine and they will turn away their ears or turn their ears away from the truth. He says they will seek teachers having itching ears, people that will tell them what they want to hear. And I want you to know you live in this day right here that he's describing. You can find any church preaching anything you want in this world today. You know, sometimes people come to me and say, Well, Michael, I want to divorce my husband because... And what they want is approval. They want me to say, Oh, man, that's, that's terrible. I understand. I have to get approved. But you know what? I can't do that. I have to say, No, you don't need to divorce your husband because the Bible says here, and you know what I hear? That's fine. I'll go to church somewhere else then. You know what that means? I'll go somewhere where there are teachers that people will gather around because they'll tell them what they want to hear. I don't want to be that preacher. I don't want to be the preacher that tells you what you want to hear so you'll be happy with the things that I say. It's not okay to refuse to forgive someone. I don't care who you are. If you claim to be a Christian, that's not okay. And I can never, as a preacher of God's Word, tell you it's fine for you to not forgive. It's never okay for you to manipulate and try to control other people who you believe have wronged you. 
That's never okay. He says in the last days it's going to be like this. And brothers and sisters, it's like this now. These are last days. You know, I teach. And when I teach, I want people to like what I say. But that's not always what happens. And it's not always what happened with Jesus. The Bible says, From that time many of His disciples went back and walked with Him no more. And Jesus said to the twelve, Do you, want to, do you also want to go away? Jesus starts preaching in this scenario. He's got like six or 8,000 people there. When He finishes the sermon... There's 12. Would you consider that a good successful sermon, Jeremy? <laughs> we normally wouldn't, would we? And Jesus looks at the 12. He says, you're going to leave too? You know why they left? Because they were offended at His message. They didn't like what Jesus had to say. And I want us to be the kind of people that we're more concerned about what Jesus says. You know what Peter told him in response to this? Peter said, but Simon, the Bible says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You see, what Jesus is looking for are people who will worship him who will say, there's nowhere else to go. Where else am I going to go? What am I going to do? Because you have the words of eternal life. I want to tell you, I have... I travel a lot, as you know, if you're around here, way too much. And I get to go, yeah, shake the head. <laughs> I want you to know that as I travel, I see lots of different churches. And things that sometimes I see in churches, I go, oh, yeah, you know, that'd be great if we do be a little more like that at home. More often than not, what I see, I go, man, I can't wait to get home. You as a congregation are so blessed to have men who lead this congregation who love God and His Word first. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the religious world. And every church just about wants to hop on what's most popular, what's most hip, what's most hip. I'm giving away my age there. What's most going on right now. I don't know the current word. But you know what I mean, don't you? Every church wants to do the new fad thing because it's going to bring the people in and all. And here, this congregation, we've got people, men leading the church, who said, you know what? What I want to do is what God says, regardless of whether that's popular or not. I want to do what God says. And I don't want to just talk about it. We don't want to just preach it, but we want to do it. It's a crazy time we live in where the popularity of a preacher will draw more people than Jesus Christ. You know, it's not at all uncommon in big pop. Have you heard of Joel Osteen's church? Have you, everyone heard of that? You can nod your head, yes, right? Right. It's Joel Osteen's church. You go there, you know who people talk about? Joel Osteen, they don't talk about Jesus. We're called to worship this being that's in the center of the universe that's so mighty that the angels can't pry themselves away from Him. They can't take their eyes off of Him. And yet we live in a world where people aren't as concerned about who has those words of eternal life. You know, God showed His love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you believe that? I believe that. I... 
Many of you know, most of you know, I teach in a private Christian school. I teach high school Bible. All of my kids who come into the class know this verse. They all know this. There's, if there's one thing they all know, it's this. God loves me unconditionally. God loves me, and I want you to know He loves you. And He loves you unconditionally. He loved you while you were in your worst state. He loved you. His love for you is unconditional. But one of these days, we need to pick up the Bible and read the whole Bible and not just a few verses in it. There's a lot in the Bible about God. One of the things you'll find when you read in the Bible is that God's love is unconditional, but His blessings are not unconditional. Yes, He always loves you. But He does not necessarily bless you unconditionally. That's not true. What is true is that God is an almighty, powerful being who has demands on you and I. They're called commands in the Bible. And God expects you and I to honor and follow the commands that He has in the Bible. Let me ask you about prayer. Do you pray? Do you pray very often? Once again, you can nod your head. It's okay. I hope you pray a lot. Do you believe God hears your prayers? You believe He answers your prayers? Most people who have any kind of religion at all believe in prayer. Israel believed in prayer. Isaiah 58. Israel was fasting and Israel was praying. And they fasted and they prayed and they fasted and they prayed. And God didn't listen to their prayers. And God didn't honor their fast. And they said to him in Isaiah 58, they said, why have we fasted and you see it not? They said, God, we're praying, we're fasting, and you're not answering. Have you ever felt like that? Ever felt like you had a prayer to God and he wasn't answering? Ever felt like you'd emptied yourself out before God and you just didn't get an answer? You know what he told these people? He said, I'm not answering you. Because you don't care about people who are hurting. You don't care about the poor. You don't care about anyone but yourself. And then you come to me with a prayer. And he said, I'm not going to listen. If you don't care about anyone else, I'm not going to listen to your prayer. Look at this. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. And oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. You know what he says there? They were fast. Do you fast? You know what fasting is? Is not eating for spiritual reasons. Do you fast? These people did. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to hear it. I'm not going to hear a word of your fast. I'm not going to hear anything you have to say because you don't care about other people. You do it to seek yourself. You do it to get what you want out of it. And God says, I'm not that kind of God. I'm not the kind of God that will just hear whatever you say. He says this, you share your bread with the hungry. You bring the homeless and poor into your house. When you see the naked, you cover him. And then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. He says, you want me to hear your prayer? You need to start caring about the people around you. Do you care about the people around you? These people didn't. And he said, because you don't, I'm not going to hear your prayer. 
You know, that's not just an Old Testament thing. In the New Testament, you read what he says in James. James chapter 1, he says, For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Do you know who that person is? That person is the person who prays and doubts. He said, when you pray, if you doubt, you're not going to get anything from God. Do you doubt God? Do you doubt God? Then when you pray, He's not going to answer you if you doubt God. If you don't trust Him. He says, you cannot go about and live your life and not believe in me and not trust me. And then when you need something, come to me and expect me to answer it. Because I don't work that way. God's not a spare tire. He's not something you can just pull out when you're in a real bad shape. He's a mighty God. He says over in James 4, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. He said, if you're asking selfishly, I'm not going to answer. I'm not going to say yes to you. You see, God does answer prayer, but not unconditionally. In 1 Peter chapter 3, husbands, you know this one? Dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Honor them as fellow heirs of the grace of God. Do you remember how it ends? That your prayers be not hindered. You know what God says, husbands? If you're not treating your wife right, I'm not going to listen to your prayer. Now that's what God said. You see, we serve a God that does love us. He loves us desperately and unconditionally. But He does not bless us without condition. You know, there's a, a tremendous amount in Scripture about this. You know, when, when we live our lives, my son, Jacob, he... You know, he'll be doing something else, and when I'm preaching, I say doing something else. He'll be sitting there looking at his Bible or something, and I'll say, my son, and he goes, <laughs> see what I'm fixing to say about him. My son understands if then. Jordan, when she lived in my home, understood if then. I suspect David, when he lived in Brent and Leslie's home, understood if then, right? If you do this, then this will happen. And if you don't right look at this passage if my people who are called by name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land that's if then this is a really popular passage in religious circles today in America you see people with t-shirts like this right and they say, we need to pray for America, pray for America. If you pray for America, He'll heal our land. One, He wasn't talking about America in this. But number two, this is an if-then. Not just pray, but He says you have to humble yourself before Me. You have to turn from your wicked ways. It doesn't work just to pray. You see, God is a God who has conditions on the blessings that He gives you and I. Does God love worship? We've been here worshiping, right? We've been singing. We've been praying. Does God love worship? Do you believe He loves worship? I think He loves worship. Sometimes. There's some worship, though, that God doesn't love. Look at this. In the book of Amos, chapter 5, God says to Israel, He says, I hate I despise your feasts. 
I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. Listen to me. This is God speaking here. And God says, I will not listen. I won't hear a thing you're saying. He says, I hate it. I despise it when you gather and you have a church. Can you imagine? You know, the world we live in, everyone thinks, I say everyone, a lot of people think, that every time there's a new church, well, hallelujah, there's a church. God ought to be up in heaven going, well, that's cool, there's another church. Especially if it says Church Christ on the door. Ah, hallelujah, there's a church. You think God just loves it every time there's a church? I'm going to tell you, He doesn't. He says, when you come to me, sometimes I hate and despise and take no delight. He says, your church services stink to me. I hate them. I don't want anything to do with it. He says, your music. Did you all think our singing was good this morning? I thought it was pretty good. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent thy name is. Beautiful song. Lord, did you hear those harmonies? And he's saying, you know what? If you weren't, if your heart wasn't right with me, if you weren't truly seeking me while you were singing that and hitting those really tight tenor notes, God's up in heaven going, la, 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 la. Because he's not listening. He doesn't want to hear it. He has no interest in us bringing to Him something that's not what He asked for. But He has interest in you and I bringing to Him only the things that He has requested of you and I. In Malachi, this is a picture of a synagogue. In Malachi, he talks about God. And God speaks to the people. And we're going to read a couple of passages here in a minute. But I want to give you just a little bit of history of what was going on here. Malachi's day was very much like our day. People had been expecting the Messiah for a couple of thousand years now. The promise has been there's going to be a Messiah. And He's going to come. And Granddaddy talked about that. And Great Granddaddy and Great 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 Granddaddy and Great 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 Granddaddy talked about it. And there were lots of preaching, and hey, you need to be ready. The Messiah's going to come. And when He comes, oh boy, He's going to come. He's going to come. But He hadn't come. And it had just been year after year after year after year. You know, I think today, Christianity, a lot of times, we're, do you remember the first time you really realized that Jesus was coming back? Do you remember the sermon or the time when it really dawned on you that Jesus could come back tonight? Do you remember that? When you went to bed, you, oh Lord, you know what? And you want to confess all your sins because He might be coming tonight, right? Do you remember feeling that way ever? That He might come right now? But then you hear another sermon about it and well... And then another, and after you've heard 12 or 15 sermons about it, you're going, oh yeah, it's a good sermon. He's going to come back someday. But it just doesn't, you know, and you just kind of get to where you're just checking the boxes. Check, check, check. That's what, that's what these people were doing. They were just checking the boxes. They weren't really living for Him. They were taking the things that they had and they were using them on themselves and then giving the leftovers to God. Look at this in Malachi chapter 1. 
He says, when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Now, what's going on here is these people... He knows what kind of flocks they have. They've got good lambs. They've got good things to offer to Him. But you know, they're out in the field and they're going, Oh, we've got to give a sacrifice. That one's crippled. Give that one to Him. And He says, Really? Do you think that I, the holy God, am pleased when you offer me an old blind, crippled lamb? It's not any good for you anyway. He says, no. He says, you offer that to... You wouldn't even give that to another man and him be happy with it. And you try to give it to me. Are we not that way? You know, got an illustration here that uh, is supposed to illustrate how it is with God. You know, if these are the blessings that God gives us, okay? You receive these blessings. And I, they could be the blessings of your family, right? God gives us family. They could be your money. God gives us time. It could be your time. You know, let's just say for this illustration, it's your money, okay? God gives you your money, and you go, Thank you, Lord. Appreciate it. Love all the blessings you've given me. Now, you know... God gave me this money, but I'm going to tell you what. I've got a mortgage, and everybody, I've got to take care of my mortgage. I've got to meet my kids are all loving this, all right? I've got to meet my mortgage. Oh, and I've got car payments, you know. That old car was getting old, and it wasn't doing that great. I've got to have my car payments. Um, now you know why I have the water here, right? I've got to have my car payments, and, and, you know, we have to go on a vacation. Oh, insurance. I can't admit insurance is so expensive these days. Um, oh, cable TV. What am I thinking? we got football season. Um, and I consume, and I consume, and I consume. And I get down, and I've consumed everything I can think of, and I've got just a little bit left now. And I go, okay, here you go, God. To what little dab I have left after I've consumed everything else for me, everything else I've got, and I think God's pleased with that. Is that crazy? Does that seem crazy to you? You know what's even crazier than that? is that we seem to have the idea that when we do that, God's going, oh, cool, man, they left a little bit in the package. I want you to know God does not want your leftovers. He does not want you to just give Him what's left after you use everything else for you. God wants your best. God wants you to give to Him first your time. Well, you've got a job. It takes a lot of hours to work and support a family. I understand that. You've got to spend your time on that. And you've got family obligations. And then you've got, you got a house to take care of. And you've got a car to maintain. And you've got a vacation to go on. And you've got all these things that you've got to do. And then, 
I've got two minutes before I go to sleep, I'll pray. And we think God's up in heaven going, oh, what an angel. He's praying. God does not want your leftovers. God does not want me to give Him just what I've got after I've spent everything else on me. He wants my first. He wants my best. He is a holy God. Do you give Him your first? Do you give Him your best? Does it ever cross your mind that He's a holy and righteous God? that is so powerful and so mighty that all the angels in heaven pry themselves away from worshiping Him? I've made a commitment to try to think about that when I get up to preach so that when I have 21 minutes and 14 seconds left, I know who I'm trying to please. I know what I'm trying to do. I know that I'm trying to make God satisfied with the things that I say and the things that I do instead of you or me. Excuse me, let me put the lid on this so it doesn't spill. God says, will he accept you favorably? Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? You know what he says about them? When they were giving him the leftovers, he said, I wish there was someone to just lock the temple. Just lock it up so you wouldn't come and offer these pathetic, half-hearted, leftover, blind, crippled sacrifices to me. I want you to know I have a strong conviction that I don't ever want to be a part of a church that God looks down at me and says, you know what? I wish they'd just shut the doors and lock it. Do you want to be a part of a church like that? You know, when I go to church, I want people standing up here that believe what they're saying. Don't you? When someone leads a song, I want someone to sing that believes what they're singing. Don't you? So when I sing all to Jesus, I surrender. You know what I mean? All to Jesus, I surrender. When I sing worthy art thou, you know what I'm singing? Worthy art thou. I want that. I want that in this church. I want that everywhere I am. You see, when you come to worship, we live in such an age of consumerist everything. And people go looking for a church, and they want a church that's going to satisfy them. They want one that the preaching's going to be entertaining, and the singing's going to be good, and the auditorium's going to be comfortable, and they've got the coffee that we like, and that's what we're looking for. And I want you to know, the goal in worship is not for me to walk out these back doors and go, man, that was good. That is not the goal in worship. The goal in worship is for me to bring something to God that He's asked for so that when I walk out the back doors, He looks down and He says, that was good. That's the goal in worship. Are you bringing God what He asked for? Are you bringing God what He wants? Are you bringing God what you want? 
What's the difference in us assembling here right now and me being a football player that every Sunday runs to the end zone as long as I go and give God the credit or maybe get on my knee for a second? What's the difference? Well, the difference should be that I'm not serving me and pretending that I'm serving God. That's what these people were doing. They were keeping all the good stuff for themselves and giving the leftovers to God. And I guess if there's one message in this sermon, it's that. God says, I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. You know why He won't? He says, because in every place incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations. You know what he says? He says, people will worship me. They're going to do it everywhere in the world. You know, people are worshiping God all around the world right now. Today, there are people who are taking it on the chin for Jesus. People who will suffer today for Jesus. There are people probably who will be put to death today for Jesus. He says, I'm great and I will be worshipped. You see, this being that determines whether I'm going to finish this sermon or not and that determines whether you're going to leave this building or not, this being not only is great and holy and righteous and worthy, but He believes He's great and holy and righteous and worthy of our worship. And not only does He believe it, He expects it from you and I. And we will worship Him now or someday. The Bible says... In that final day, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. Everyone will worship God someday. You know, God has always been that way. The Lord had respect to Abel and his offering, but did not respect Cain and his offering. God does not just accept anything people call worship. He has never accepted all sacrifices. You know, the sacrifice that Cain brought to God, that cost him something, didn't it? I mean, he had to plant the vegetables and grow them and pick them and bring them to the altar and build the altar. It cost him something. But he was bringing what Cain wanted to bring instead of what God said. God said, I want this, and Abel brought it. Cain said, well, I'm going to bring you this. And God didn't accept Cain's. God has always been that kind of God when you read the Bible. We bring to God what He asks for. In the New Testament, He says the same thing to the church in Ephesus. He says this, I know your works and your labor and your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars. He says, you tested them, and you found them liars. Now, this was a pretty good church in, in a lot of ways. They worked themselves to exhaustion for God. Have you ever done that? They wouldn't tolerate false teaching. They couldn't tolerate people who were evil. They didn't let evil just come and dwell in their midst. I mean, there were a lot of good things about this church. But you know what? They had left their first love. They weren't doing it for God anymore. You know, Dusty and I talked about this sermon. Talked about how you make practical application of this idea. You know, that's really hard because it's really a heart thing. You know, the thing I did about 
you know, eating, consuming your resources. You got to have somewhere to live. It's not sinful to have somewhere to live and pay a mortgage. It's not sinful to have cars. It's not sinful to enjoy the good things in this world, to take a vacation. It's not sinful to spend time working. The, the uh, not prodigal woman, but the woman in Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman. The virtuous woman got up early in the morning and worked hard all day long. There's nothing wrong with doing those things. It's the motive that you do those things from. It's the foundation that those things come from or are built off of. That motive of serving God with everything we do. You know, by all appearances, Ephesus was a great church. But he said, if you don't repent... I'm going to remove your candlestick. And that was the church. He says, you're not going to be a church anymore. You're going to be gone because you didn't repent. Why? Because they weren't doing it from their heart. They weren't worshiping God. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you. That you left. You left your first love. And you went to follow yourself. You went to follow something else. I don't want to end this on a down note. What I want to do is tell you that the purpose of this sermon wasn't to beat you up. The purpose of this sermon was to challenge you and challenge you to do this. Because what he tells Malachi, after he told him, he said, I'm sick of you and I'm not listening to you and I'm disgusted with you and I wish somebody would just lock your church. After he said all of that, here's what he said in Malachi 3. Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. You know what he says here? He says, you just test me. You just try me. You put me to the test. You give me the best you've got. You give me everything you've got. And you see if I don't respond with blessings beyond your wildest imagination. He says, you just test me. You just try me. And I want to challenge you today. Test God. Try Him. Be wholehearted. And just see if He doesn't bless you. I mean, give Him first everything you've got. And see if He doesn't bless you. He will. Because He's a mighty God. He will lift up His name. You have a challenge ahead of you. We have great challenge, a time of challenge ahead of us. Here in Denton, here in America, things are changing religiously. It will be hard. There will be some very difficult challenges, but there's also going to be peace. Because there's peace when you know you've done what you can do, and you've given all you've got to God. When you give Him your first, instead of saying, I'm going to give Him my leftovers, when you give Him your first, I promise you, there's peace in knowing that you've, you've entrusted everything you have to Him who is the center of the universe and the power that upholds everything that exists. That's your challenge. I want to remind you what He told Peter. Peter said, Lord, we've forsaken all to follow You. And you know what He said? He said, Peter, when you give up stuff for me, He said, you give up homes or or lands, or, or people. He said, I'm going to give you a hundred times as much in this life and in the life to come, eternity. Because you see, if in nine minutes and four seconds, 
I am standing before the Father in glory. I'm there at that scene with all the angels. People are not going to part and go, Wow! You know what He gave God? There's no one going to do that. You know what they're going to say? You mean God gave Him all of that for only this? Because you see, it's not about you and what you give God. You just give God your best. You can't outgive God. You can't outgive Him in any way, in any area. It's all going to be about what He gave to you, what He gave for you. So I challenge you give Him your first, your best, give Him your whole heart, and serve Him the way He asks you to serve Him. And just test Him and see. If there's a spiritual need you have that you'd like to bring before the church, we offer a song of invitation. If you would come to the front while we stand and sing.